Each spring, Pensacola Christian College hosts the Enrichment Retreat designed for pastors, ministry leaders, and church staff to enjoy a time of rest and to be refreshed by the Word of God. Today's message was from a past Enrichment Retreat keynote speaker. Visit enrichmentretreat.com for details or to learn more about the upcoming retreat. 2 Timothy chapter 7 in your Bible tonight. Or no, 2 Timothy. Did I just say 2 Timothy chapter 7? Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. There's only three chapters, and I mean five chapters in 2 Timothy. Uh, anyway, 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's been a long week. And uh, I want you to hold your finger there and then look at... Uh, the reason I got confused is because originally I planned to preach on 2 Timothy tonight... Uh, but honestly, as I've listened to the, the, the messages in the general sessions, uh, all of the, the topical material that I would have covered in that message has been so well covered uh, by these other messages that I, I really feel directed to preach this message tonight. Uh, and I think you'll see why here in a moment. So 2 Samuel uh, chapter number 7, hold your finger there and then find 2 Samuel chapter 12. And then if you'd like to, uh, toward the end of the message, we're going to look at one other passage, and that's found in 1 Kings chapter 1. So those are the three chapters. I don't typically do this when I preach, go to different passages, uh, but tonight I think you'll see why. Okay, so 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and then 1 Kings uh, chapter number 1. I want to talk to you about the importance of ministry friendships. The importance of ministry friendships. You may have come to this enrichment retreat this year um, with, without really having a close ministry friend. And maybe you came and maybe this is even your first time. And, and, and you've sensed now over a couple of days just the, the good rush of genuine ministry friendships and the way that they can sharpen us. And while I'm grateful for the messages that I've I've talked about and the sessions that we've all enjoyed together, you know, there's another part of the enrichment retreat that is just so vital, and that's all the lobby talk. That's that's the relationship building. And what I'm praying is that beyond this meeting, uh, maybe you forged a new friendship or strengthened an old one that can help you in a dark season in your ministry. I do know this. There are no lone rangers that make it long-term in the ministry. There are no, long, no lone rangers that make it long-term in the ministry. We, we need each other. And iron does sharpen iron. And faithful are the wounds of a friend. And it's important that we understand uh, the, the, the friendships that can be and should be formed and forged among fellow preachers and preachers' wives. And so I hope that this message will be a blessing to you as we look at one such friendship in the Bible, an unlikely friendship. If I were to say friendship in the Bible, many of you would say maybe David and Jonathan. And certainly you'd be right about that. You you might say a a mentorship, friendship like Barnabas and, and Saul, Barnabas and Paul. You might say even Paul and Timothy. And I suppose there are, are, are others that would come to mind. But when I think about a ministry friendship that made a profound difference in the life of at least one of them, I think of the relationship between David 
and the prophet Nathan. Now, when I say David and Nathan, probably your ministry mind goes directly to Nathan's rebuke of David after the sin with Bathsheba. And certainly it should. Certainly it should. That's a, that was a, a huge event in the life of David, and it must have been a very difficult conversation for Nathan to have. But the, the relationship that David and Nathan had is so much bigger. It's so much more expansive than just that one episode. Matter of fact, I'll say this, that one episode would have been impossible, in my view, unless a relationship had already existed. So look at 2 Samuel chapter 7 in your Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 7. I want to show you in chapter 7 uh, the friendship. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 12, I want to show you the friction. Because every good friendship will go through times of friction, necessary, sometimes even invited friction. And then when we get to 1 Kings chapter 1, all the way at the end of the message, okay, I want to talk about faithfulness. Because faithful are the wounds of a friend. And faithfulness is the mark of friendship. And so the friendship itself, and then the friction that was endured, and then the faithfulness that existed all the way until the end. Look at chapter 7 and verse 1. Where the Bible says, it came to pass when the king sat in his house. Now stop for a moment. David now was... uh, the king of the United Kingdom. He had uh, run from Saul for all those many years. The kingdom had finally come into his hands, but at first, remember, he only ruled the southern kingdom from Hebron. And it took seven years for Ishbosheth and the Abner situation to resolve until finally, for the last 33 years of David's life, he ruled over what we call the United Kingdom of Israel. It's at this point, the Bible says in verse 1, that the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies. No longer is there the encroaching danger of the Philistines, that nettlesome, uh, uh, that nettlesome enemy uh, to the south and to the west. Uh, the, the Ammonites and the Edomites and the Moabites are, are no longer bothering. Uh, David is strong. The, the country is strong. The economy is strong. The military is strong. These are good days. So strong is David at this point in his ministry. The Bible says he's sitting in his house, which tells us that he's now built his palace. And you can read some of the parallel passages and know that David's palace was like no other building in the country. It was the biggest building. It was the most ornate building. It certainly was the most expensive building in all the country, David's house. Read all about it how they imported much of the material and even the lumber that came all the way from Lebanon to build the house of David. And so now David is sitting in his house. What a house it must have been. As he looks at the expansiveness of his house and the ornate architecture, no doubt that went into it, and all the artisanship that that went into building that house. And there he sits. There he sits in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 1. And he sits there with a friend of his. Watch what the Bible says in verse 2. That the king said unto Nathan the prophet. Now that's interesting. It's an unlikely pair. Nobody else, it seems, is in the room. Nobody else, it seems, is in the conversation. If you look at the scripture, it seems as if it's just David and just Nathan enjoying a night of repose in David's palace. And they're having just a random conversation together. But random conversations oftentimes tell us a lot about people's character. 
Random conversations tell us a lot about what's in people's heart. I mean, when you get beyond the weather talk, when you get beyond the sports talk, when you get beyond the common niceties and just listen to people's conversation, you learn a lot about their priorities, don't you? And so here's David and here's Nathan. They're having a conversation. Now, it's an unlikely pair because David is a king and and Nathan uh, is probably much younger than he. Now, how do you know that? Well, I don't know that uh, for sure. There's no no place in the Bible that tells us definitively how old Nathan was. But we do know this. Uh, Nathan wrote the biography of David's life. And so one of the biographies, one of three. And so when David died, we know that Nathan outlived him. And then we know this as well. From 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 29, we know that when Solomon died, Nathan wrote the biography on his life as well. And so Nathan must have been a good deal younger than David and lived to a very old life to be able to write the biography of David who reigned 40 years and then Solomon who reigned for 40 years. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Nathan wrote the biography at the, at the whole end of Solomon's life, but, but probably Solomon had lived most of his life for him to have written that biography. What am I saying? I'm saying there's probably a big age gap between David and Nathan. And can I say, that's a healthy friendship. A friendship doesn't have to be somebody your exact age. And many times, the most uh, valuable ministry friendships are good, bona fide friendships when there is an age gap. I'm glad for ministry friends I have that are in their 30s. They give me a perspective that perhaps I've not considered. And, And there's an energy and a vision sometimes that they have that perhaps I don't have or that's waning in my life. And so I think multi generational friendships in ministry are important. Now, watch what the Bible says in verse 2. So the king said unto Nathan, the prophet, uh, and, and, and I've got to stop for one more moment, I'm sorry. And that's, that's to say, it's interesting that both these men love the Bible. You know, David is a writer of the Bible. He's penned many psalms by this time. And Nathan is a prophet. A prophet was one in the Bible who spoke to men for God. And so both of these men love God. Both of these men love the word of God. And there's another commonality about about these men that's really interesting. Because David had a father by the name of Jesse, who had a father by the name of Obed, who had a father by the name of Boaz, whose wife's name was, talk to me, Ruth. And Ruth was a Moabitess. And so David's great-grandmother wasn't even an Israelite, was she? You know what's interesting about Nathan when you read uh, his biography in 1 Chronicles chapter 2? You're going to find out that Nathan had a grandfather who was Egyptian. Isn't that something? Uh, David's father, uh, his name was Attai, and Attai's father was an Egyptian servant of his father who had no sons. Only daughters. But he had a faithful Egyptian slave, and he married his daughter to the faithful Egyptian. I'm sure that this was a commonality among Nathan and David. They both talked about the fact that, hey, our bloodline uh, goes back to Gentiles, and yet we serve Jehovah God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And so here they are. They have a heart for God. They kind of have a common background. They have a love for God's word. And the Bible says that David says to Nathan, look at it in verse 2. That the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in an house of cedar. That was saying something in those days because the typical person did not have a house of cedar, could not afford a house of cedar, and cedar would be a rare building material for any home in Jerusalem. Probably David's palace is the only palace built out of cedar. I'd love to take you one day to the excavation of David's palace. This was the highest 
building in town. The temple was not yet built. There's Temple Mount right up there. There it is. But it's just a, it's just a threshing floor right now. There's no building there. And the David's palace is right down the hill from Temple Mount. This was the highest building in town, which was a problem eventually for David because it gave him a vantage point that other people did not have. And he could see other people's rooftops from his uh, palace, and he did not guard his vantage points. That got him into trouble in his life. But so far, so good. He's in a palace. God is blessing. The enemies have all been quelled. He's with his uh, good buddy Nathan. They're talking about the word of God. And watch what happens in verse 2. He says, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God that David had recently brought to Jerusalem, the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. Now, we know what that means. That means the ark of God, upon which was the mercy seat of God, over which the Shekinah glory of God came and met with man. I mean, the most important artifact in all of the world, representing uh, the, the contact that God has with man. Okay, that ark of God is in a tent. Do you see what David's saying? David, in essence, is saying, Nathan, he's just talking out loud. He's just thinking out loud. Nathan, look at this beautiful house. Look at this wonderful house I live in. I just, I don't know, something doesn't seem right, Nathan. It just seems like I've got this beautiful house that, that I live in, and, and God, God, the ark of God is in a tent. It's like I get to have this palace, and God, the presence of God, lives in a tent. He doesn't make a commentary on it. He's just kind of thinking out loud. And watch what Nathan says to him in verse 3. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine, what? Heart. It was all, David, David was all about heart. With my whole heart I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hidden mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. With, oh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. David was a man after God's own heart. All about heart. And so Nathan knows that about David. Nathan knows the transparency and, and, the, and the sincerity of David. David said, boy, I live in this big palace and God's living in a tent. And, and Nathan just kind of cuts in and says, David, go for it. You're the guy to make it happen. I know what's in your heart. Just go do it. Build that temple. And watch what happens, because this is very interesting. So Nathan says, uh, uh, go, do all that's in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. Verse 4, and it came to pass that night. So they finished the conversation, presumably. David goes to bed, Nathan goes home. And that night, the Bible says, the word of the Lord came unto Nathan. Now what's interesting about that is the chapter is all about David. Matter of fact, this is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible because this is the, this is the articulation of the Davidic covenant, right? The famous Davidic covenant. This is when God gives that, that unconditional promise to David that there will be a seed coming from you that will be Messiah and I'm going to bless your seed and bless your lineage and all of that, the Davidic covenant. But the word comes to Nathan. And the Bible says in verse uh, uh, 5, Go, tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord. Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Hey, God, God says to Nathan, uh, hey, Nathan, go talk to David and tell him I overheard your conversation. And, and I overheard how he's going to build me a big house. 
Okay, look at verse 6. Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in the tent and the tabernacle. So God says, hey, listen, I overheard your conversation, and David's going to build me a house, but I've never had a house. I've, I've never had a house. Verse 7, in all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, why build you not me in house of cedar? Okay, so in other words, I've never had a house. I've never asked for a house. See what God's saying? Hey, Nathan, go, go say to David, David, I overheard your conversation. You want to build me a house, but have I been complaining that I don't have a house? Have I ever had a house? Do I need a house? Have I ever told anyone I want a house? Because sometimes what we want to do for God is not what God wants us to do for him. Even though our hearts might be sincere. Look look at verse number 8. Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people over Israel. David, I remember when you used to write poems to me. I remember when you would pray to me. I remember when no one recognized your potential but me. I remember the heart you had for sheep. And I said, that's the kind of guy I want leading my people. David, you're so concerned about a big building. You want to build for me, but I don't need a big building. I've never asked for a big building. I'm going to let your son build me a big building. I'm not against a big building. But David, your purpose is to lead my people the way a shepherd would lead sheep. That's your purpose. And he goes on to tell them some other things. For sake of time, we won't read the chapter. Okay, what, what is this friendship built upon in chapter 7? Let me give you three statements. Here they are. And we'll move on to point number two. Well, what is this friendship built upon? I think, first of all, a friend in my life. A friend in my life is somebody with whom I can share my heart. A true ministry friend is somebody with whom I can share my heart. Somebody that I can be transparent with. Somebody I can talk about the deepest desires, the deepest visions of my heart, of my life, of my ministry. There's somebody in your life. And I I trust that uh, husband and wife, that you have those talks. And I think that's certainly your best ministry friend ought to be your spouse. I believe that 100%. But, uh, But along with that, do you have other ministry friends that you can just let your hair down and be transparent? You don't have to qualify your conversations. This is my heart. Who is that person? You need that person in your life. Okay? Number two, not only is that ministry friend somebody with whom you can share your heart, but number two, that ministry a friend is somebody that will encourage you in all of your good and godly endeavors. A ministry friend is somebody that will encourage you in all of your good and godly endeavors. I find it interesting. David said, you know, I live in this house, and God's, uh, God's ark doesn't have a place. And, and Nathan's like, hey, David, go for it. God be with you. David, make it happen. Absolutely. But we need those people in our lives. We need people that, that love God along with us, that have a desire to serve God. And boy, when we share vision and, and vision talk and, 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 and potential, and they're right alongside, yes, and I'm with you, and I'm praying for you. It's the Barnabas in our life. It's the encourager in our life. I remember starting our church years ago in the state of Connecticut back in 1992, early 1992. I remember calling a friend of mine who lived in upstate New York, whose name is Tom. I said, Tom, I'm going to start a church. He said, when? I said, 
Sunday. You know what I mean? It's like, come on, when else do you start a church? I think he meant like, what month? But I said, no, we're Sunday. And uh, I said, can you help me? He said, I'll be right there. I wish I could tell you the whole story, but thank God for ministry friends like that. Yeah, I'm with you. Now, it might have been a little bit premature. I probably should have thought through it a little bit more. And looking back, I would have done it differently. But I'm so grateful for a ministry friend that was right there in a pinch. And so somebody with whom I share my heart. Somebody that, uh, that encouraged me, encourages me in all my good and godly endeavors. But number three, a ministry friend is somebody whom God will use in my life to clarify his word in my life. God uses ministry friends to clarify the word of God in your life. You know why? Because sometimes when you're in your position, sometimes when you're in your situation, you can't see it clearly. Because emotions are, are foggy things. And uh, all, of the, uh, all of the fogginess of the relationships. And uh, I remember, uh, Brother Jeff, when I was uh, at Harvest, and I actually called you about this. And I, I, God was leading me uh, to, 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 to leave. I didn't want to leave. I didn't know what to do. I'm calling ministry friends that knew me and knew our church, had preached for us. And I'm saying, what do I do? What do I do? Why? Because I knew that uh, my emotions were clouding me. And I didn't want to make an emotional decision. I wanted to make a biblical decision. And I find it interesting that God did not come to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He came to Nathan so that Nathan could go to David. That's so often the way God works in the Bible. I mean, God could give the gospel to people one-on-one, I suppose. But God, in his economy, has chosen to preach the word of God from people to people. How shall they hear without a preacher? God does that in our lives. You know why? Because we need those rear view, side view mirrors in our life. I remember as a 16-year-old kid going to Pat's driving school, not P-A-T apostrophe S, but P-A-T-Z, Pat's driving school in downtown Newington, Connecticut, the thriving metropolis. I remember going to Pat's driving school and learning how to drive. I remember when they taught us how to do a K-turn. I remember how they, when they taught us how to back into a parking space. I remember when they taught us about blind spots. Remember that? Some of you, I followed you on the way to Camp of the Pines. You still don't know <laughs> about blind spots. But, uh, and, 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 and that's your fault. It's not my fault for driving up 80 miles an hour on your left-hand side, okay? Anyway, here's how you avoid blind, here's how you avoid blind spots. When you're making a lane change, you check your rear view mirror, you check your side view mirror, or you do a head check left, or you drive a Tesla and just read a book and let the Tesla drive the car. (laughs) Rear view, side view, head check left. Why? Because we all have blind spots. And God will bring good ministry friends into your life to help clear people. A good counselor in your life is somebody who loves God and loves you. He loves God and knows you. Good ministry friends can help bring the word of God to bear upon your life. This, my friends, is a bona fide ministry friendship. All right? Number two. Real quickly, look at chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. So we saw a time of friendship. Now let's fast forward. David should have been at battle. David should not have been hanging out on the rooftop. David should not have uh, 
given license to his lust. David should not have covered up his sin. David got himself into a pickle, didn't he? David thought erroneously that he had covered his sin effectively. Of course, we know that he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. We know that if we regard iniquity in our heart, God will not hear us. And now for eight, nine months, David has been entirely out of the will of God. No fellowship with God. The man after God's own heart has a no communication with God. This is a dark time in David's life. And God sends Nathan to David to represent him. God sends Nathan. Isn't that interesting? He sends this ministry friend who knows David, who loves David, who has already been sent to David to clarify really good information in David's life. The last message that Nathan gave to David before chapter 12 was the message of the Davidic covenant. God sent Nathan to say, hey, David, I'm going to build your house. I'm going to bless your offspring. And Messiah himself will come from you. That's a great message. Now God sends the same friend to the same house with a different message. I call this a time of friction. If you've been in the ministry for any length of time at all, uh, you have to go through times of friction both on the giving end of giving counsel and on the receiving end of giving counsel. And watch what happens in chapter 12 and verse 1. Well, the Bible says that the Lord sent Nathan unto David. Interesting. He came unto him and said unto him, there, there were two men in one city. Isn't that interesting? He comes to David and he starts telling David a story. Matter of fact, he doesn't get around to giving David the word of God until verse number 7. Where Nathan said unto David, thou art the man, thus saith the Lord. So until verse 7, Nathan is having a conversation with his friend. Now we understand it's recorded in scripture for us today. So the story is scripture. But understand from an author audience standpoint, when Nathan was speaking to David, he's coming and simply finding a way to communicate with his friend. See, a friend will help a friend to see himself. A friend will help a friend to see himself. Because right now, David is not seeing himself. David has a false conception about sin, about righteousness, about his, own, uh, about his own trouble. He cannot see it. And so God sends a friend who knows his friend to show his friend who he is. And watch how Nathan, who knows David, shows David who he is. Verse number one. So there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. Well, already David can associate with both these men. Because David is very, very rich, and nobody is more rich in the country than David. So, I mean, there's a rich man, David, I get it, I get it. But there's a poor man, and David gets that as well, because David had a very poor occupation growing up as a shepherd, and, and David was in some pretty squalid situations when he was running from Saul, a vagabond. So David knows both how to be rich and both how to be poor, and, and like the Apostle Paul, I know how to be a base, and I know how to abound in everywhere and in all things. I mean, David's got it. So when Nathan says there's a rich man and there's a poor man, which one is David? Well, we don't know yet. Look at verse 2. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. 
Is it not interesting to you how God defined, how God quantified the riches of this rich man? Because he could have said the rich man had a lot of gold. He could have said the rich man had a lot of houses. The rich man, he could have said the rich man had expensive garments, but he didn't say that. When Nathan quantified what the rich man had, he quantified it as he had a lot of sheep. Had a lot of flocks, herds. Look, look at verse 3. But the poor man had nothing. He had nothing but, but, but one little ewe lamb. Well, David knows all about one little ewe lamb. I mean, David, I mean, he took care of little ewe lambs. David grew up taking care of lambs. David would kill a, kill a, a bear to save a lamb. David would risk his life and kill a lion to save a lamb. David loved lambs. David, when David described God, he said, God, you're my shepherd. I'm your lamb. But the, the lamb, the, the, the lamb imagery in David's life, it was everything. But when God had told David, uh, I'm going to give you this Davidic covenant in chapter 7, he described David as a shepherd. That's why I chose you, David, because you know how to shepherd sheep, but you know how to love people. And so when Nathan is trying to help David to see himself, he uses an illustration about sheep. Why? Because this is going to touch at the heartstrings of David. And the Bible says in verse 3, the poor man had nothing but, say, one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished up. It grew up together with him, with his children. Can we just call a timeout right now? This does not count toward my preaching time, Dr. Atkins, because this is a timeout. Okay, in a basketball game, you call a timeout. That does not. That's not. The clock's not running. Okay, just a timeout. Now, I know this is just a story in the Bible, but this guy is weird. Okay, like who lets a lamb eat at his table? Okay, and don't don't be judging this guy because some of you have a little dog at home that's masquerading as a dog because it's not a dog. It's a cat. Okay, and you let it eat at your table. Okay, time in. Okay, look at it. Verse here. <laughs> it grew up together with him, with his, with his children. This guy needs psychological help. Um, it did eat of his own meat, <laughs> give him some puppy chow, drank of his own cup. Watch this. It lay in his bosom. It was unto him as a daughter. So he loves this pet. Verse 4. There came a traveler. Have you ever extended the metaphor in your mind? Who, who is the traveler? When you think about the metaphor, because this applies to David, who's the traveler? Think about it. The traveler is the the desire of David, not even unrighteous desire. Because the traveler in 2 Samuel chapter 12 could have been satisfied righteously. The traveler is David's lust. Because the, the traveler could, David had wives. He could have satisfied his desire for a physical relationship. He could have satisfied that righteously. The problem was the traveler was satisfied unrighteously by the poor man's lamb. So watch what happens. So there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock, of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him. He took the poor man's lamb and and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Watch this, verse 5. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. David is hot. Man, he is bothered. What? 
what, what, what are you telling me, Nathan? You, you, you mean to tell me this guy had all of these sheep and this guy had this sheep that he loved and he, he took his sheep? Well, watch David's response. Verse 5. As the Lord liveth. Well, that's serious. That's an oath. That's an oath based upon God. The existence of God. As the Lord liveth, uh, the, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Wow. The death penalty for stealing a lamb? That even goes beyond the law. Is it not amazing how we maximize the sins of others and minimize our own? What's the bad sin? I'll tell you what the bad sin is. Your sin. Okay? Your, your, and yours is sin. Mine is a mistake. Okay. You see how that works? He's angry. And when you're angry, you get irrational. And I'll prove it. Because here's what he says. Kill him! And make him pay back. Well, probably you should say, make him pay back and then kill him. You know, you're not going to rifle through a dead man's pockets. Look at it. Verse 6. He shall restore the lamb fourfold. He did this thing. He did this thing. He did this thing. But watch the exacerbating circumstance. Oh, don't miss it. He deserves the death penalty. Why? He did the crime. But here's why I'm so mad, Nathan. Because he had no pity. He didn't have any heart. And if there's one thing I can't stand, it's when people have no heart. Man, he did this thing, and he had no heart. Now, we've all heard messages about Nathan and David, and I'm just going to give you my, what I imagine, okay? Because we all picture Nathan pointed his bony finger of accusation, and thou art the man, reverb, man, man. I, I don't think that's the way it happened. I think David lost it. This is just the way I envision it. I think David lost it. Kill him. I can't believe it. He had no heart. I think Nathan, the friend, said, David, I'm talking about you. David, this is you. David, look in the mirror. This is what you did. See, a friend will help a friend see himself. I remember a ministry friend I served with years ago. Great dad, great Bible teacher, great friend. Could not coach a ball game without losing his cool. Couldn't do it. Everybody gossiped about him, murmured about him. What a hypocrite. He wasn't. He just couldn't control himself in that one area. I called him to my... I taught in a, I taught in a Christian school. I called him to my Christian school classroom. <coughs> I called him by name. I said, listen, I'm your friend and I love you. You're losing your reputation because you can't control yourself on a basketball court. As your friend, I'm telling you, you need to never coach another ball game in your life. It's, you're ruining your reputation. He kind of chuckled, laughed it off. Oh, that's a little bit. I said, okay, whatever. I'm just telling you, I love you. I'm tired of other people talking about it. I'm just telling you, this is what you need to do. 
You know, the next day we had Christian school chapel. He got up. He was the preacher. He never preached a message. He got up and said, yesterday a friend came to me and told me what I already knew and what I've already heard people whisper about. And as of today, I resign as the basketball coach, and he named our school. And it was a great day for him. Now, I know in that particular story I did the right thing, but a thousand times I've not done the right thing. And a thousand other times, I probably should have been on the other side of that conversation. That's what Those are the conversations ministry friends need to have. Do you have that guy in your life? Do you have that lady in your life, ladies, who can say to you, hey, 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 can we talk? A friend helps a friend see himself. And then a friend brings the word of God to bear upon the situation. And that's what he, a friend will not shrink from telling people what the word of God says. A faithful are the wounds of a friend. David, you're wrong. Here's what God's word says. And David, I love you. You know I love you, but you're wrong. And there are consequences. And uh, here it is. And he told them, God forgave David. But forgiveness doesn't mean that consequences aren't still coming. Right? So a friend will help a friend see himself. A friend will not shrink from giving his friend uh, the admonition from the word of God. But watch this, number three. A friend will stay engaged in his life. Because sometimes what happens is, well, we have a, a problem with a friend who have to tell him something, Eric, that we don't want to tell them. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's awkward now. Okay, it's awkward because I know... You know, what you did, you know, and we talked about it. So now it's like, it's awkward. We don't call anymore. It's kind of like, I did my job. That's not Nathan. You know what Nathan did? Nathan stayed faithfully engaged in David's life. I mean, David, and after David was forgiven, David and Bathsheba had some kids. Now, it's interesting because in one passage, it lists the sons of David and Bathsheba as Shemua. That was the first son. They named an orca whale after him at SeaWorld. And then Shobab, can't make that name up. And then the fourth son, according to Chronicles, is Solomon. So if you read the one passage, it seems as if Solomon is included next in chapter 12 to kind of complete the story, but he was the fourth one born of, uh, of David and Bathsheba. That, that, that's quite possible. I actually lean to that. Or it just might be that they're listed out of order in 2 Chronicles and Solomon's the next one born. Either way... David and Bathsheba had four children after the one that died. Shemua, Shobab, Solomon. You know who the fourth one was? It's actually the third one, but you know what his name was? Nathan. Ironic? I don't think so. The first one that Bathsheba named. David named Shemua. David named Shobab. The first one Bathsheba named, Nathan. He defended my dead husband. He restored my current husband's walk with God by saying the hard things. He didn't give up on us. Remember when, when Bathsheba had Solomon? Solomon means peace. Shalom. Solomon. Guess who got the first birth announcement? Nathan. It's a boy. Nathan comes over, David's beaming. Hey, here's my son. What's his name? Solomon. Yeah. Hey, uh, David, remember our conversation? Yeah. No, not that one. (laughs) (laughs) Remember the one back in the palace? Yeah, yeah. Remember I told you 
that God told me to tell you that you would have a son that would build a temple one day for God? Remember I told you that? David's like, yeah. That's the son. Nathan got to tell him that. That's the son. Can I hold him? Do you mind if I give him a nickname? We're not going to call him. I'm not going to call him Solomon. I'm going to, because uncles can call kids whatever they want to call them, right? I'm going to call him Jedediah. Hey, he is beloved of the Lord. What a picture of grace. What a picture of God. Only God can do that. Only God can take the messiest situation and bring grace out of it. Only God can do that. Who's a friend? Nathan, he's a friend. Just like the friend you need to be and that you need to have. And then there's friction, but they work through that. I'm going to show you yourself as much as you don't want to see yourself. Like we turn a toddler's head to, to our eyeballs. I know you don't want to look at me, but you need to hear this. He stayed engaged. Last passage. Look at 1 Kings chapter 1 and we're done. Don't miss this. 1 Kings chapter number 1. I love this. Can we fast forward again? Solomon is now, oh, 20 years old maybe. So we're fast forwarding at least 20 years. 1 Samuel chapter, uh, 1 Kings rather, chapter 1. And, and look at what it says in Verse number five. Oh, don't miss it. First Kings chapter one and verse five. Then Adonijah, who's he? He's the oldest living son of David. Right? Amnon's gone. Absalom's gone. Right? Because Adonijah, he's number four. He's the oldest son still alive. David is on his deathbed. David is so cold, he, he's, he can't stay warm. He's on his bed. He can't, can't, can't get warm. Okay, if that's you, if you need like four extra blankets, I mean, you're like David. I mean, you got one foot on a banana peel, one foot in the grave. I'm just telling you that right now, okay? <laughs> so David, he can't get warm. And Adonijah knows, hey, my dad's about to die. And there, there's no official proclamation about who the next king's going to be. But David had made it clear, though, privately, it's going to be Solomon. But Adonijah, he's a, like an opportunist. He wants to be the next king. So what does he do? Okay, for sake of time, I'll just tell you. He calls a press conference calls all the other sons of David. There's like 50 of them, because he has multiple wives. And he gets all these guys together, and he has a press conference. And he has this big parade, and he announces to all the people, hey, I'm the next king. You better follow me. David's on his way out. I'm on the way in. Uh, Get on the Adonijah ticket, right? But Adonijah's shrewd, because he doesn't call Benaiah, that's David's bodyguard, He doesn't call Zadok, that's the faithful priest, and he doesn't call Nathan because he knows that these guys are going to be loyal to David. So guess what? The news gets out. Oh, at night, this is a coup. He's going to take the kingdom and David's about to die and uh, what are we going to do? This is going to be the death of Solomon. This is going to be the death of Bathsheba. So what does Nathan do? Nathan goes into Bathsheba and says, Bathsheba, listen, I need your help. Bathsheba, you need to go in right now to David because you have a way with him that no one else has. And you go in, and I want you to tell him everything that's going on. He's not going to like it, but he, he needs to hear it from you. 
And so go tell him. And then when you're coming out, I'll go in and I'll confirm everything you just said. So Bathsheba goes in. Hey, David, here's what's going on. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but your son Adonijah, and it's looking bad. And you said something about Solomon. And, and uh, he goes, she goes out, in walks uh, Nathan. Nathan, hey, everything Bathsheba said is true. And I, I know I, 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 you don't want to hear this right now, but what do we need to do? David said, oh, faithful Nathan. Take my son, go down to the Gihon Spring, right outside of Jerusalem, publicly. I want you and Zadok and Benaiah, the other mighty man, go down. I'll send a guard, but you go down there, and I want you publicly to anoint Solomon so everyone knows. You know what? That was a dangerous thing to do. But you know what Nathan does? He does it. And you know the story. You know the story. That Solomon becomes the king. And you think, well, David dies. Solomon reigns. What a great friendship. What a great story. But it's not over. It's not over. Do you know that Nathan has two sons? One is, one's name is Azariah. The other one's name is like Zabud or something like that. One, watch this, one of Nathan's sons is the chief governor for Solomon. Solomon divides his kingdom into 12 governorships. And one guy is over Judah and over the other 11. Guess who that is? Nathan's son. And the other son of Nathan is the Ahithophel to Solomon, the chief counselor. The chief counselor. So Nathan not only serves David, but Nathan's family serves Solomon's family. And then Solomon dies, and then Nathan dies, and then Azariah dies, and Zabud dies. And Solomon has a son by the name of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam has a son by the name of Abijam. And and then Asa and Jehoshaphat. Right on down. And they have sons who have sons who have sons who have sons who have sons. Who has a son whose name is Jesus. Don't miss this. And so if you look at the lineage of Jesus... In Matthew chapter 1, you're going to find it's David, Solomon, Jesus. And if you look at the lineage in Luke chapter 3, the human lineage through Mary, through Heli, the father of Mary, right? When you see that lineage, it's David, Nathan, the namesake. The son. And so who is Jesus? He's the confluence of Solomon, Nathan, grace, truth. Perfectly embodied in the friend above all friends. We all need a friend like Nathan, but listen, my friends, we all have a friend like Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his, for his friends. Jesus, friend of sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. We need good ministry friends. I hope you have one. I hope you'll be one.
But I hope you'll remember, first and foremost, Jesus is our friend. You've been listening to a message from the Pensacola Christian College Enrichment Retreat. You're welcome to pass this message along to others, but we ask that you do not charge for it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. If you're a pastor or ministry leader, join us for the next Enrichment Retreat and experience a time of physical rest and spiritual refreshment. To learn more, visit EnrichmentRetreat.com.